You'll take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start in uh, verse 43, and we're going to read down through verse 48, the end of the chapter. Let's follow along as I read. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven, uh, your Father which is in heaven, is perfect. Today I want to uh, preach a message entitled, Be ye therefore perfect. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we come before you tonight, uh, trust with our hearts ready to hear from your word. Lord, I pray that as I speak, that it would not be uh, with my own wisdom and knowledge, but Lord, what I uh, preach about tonight would be directly from your word, that I would uh, not lean on my own understanding, but Lord, just clearly communicate the teaching and the truth that is found in this passage. Uh, Lord, I pray for... Uh, those that are not able to be with us tonight, I think of Brother Hoyle as he's traveling. I pray for safety for him. I pray that you just give him a prosperous week this week, that it will be productive, uh, and that you give wisdom for him as he uh, continues his training and uh, leads the, the, the group there that he's been assigned at the city of Raleigh. Just, Lord, thank you for him. Thank you for his ministry among us. Thank you for his testimony in the community. Um, I brings to mind Braxton as well. Lord, pray for Braxton. Um, I pray that you just work in his heart. Uh, and uh, that he would see his need of a Savior, and that he would be saved. Uh, Lord, I pray that just everything that's done tonight would just bring glory to you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The understanding of returning kindness for kindness is a primal instinct of the human understanding. In fact, it is my assertion that the English idiom You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, does not require any explanation to the child of even five years old. They understand it. Even a child uh, is easily provoked uh, when they feel that they are being not justly treated. I recall recall to mind when I was preparing for this message um, a childhood, childhood story um, and this is probably not the only occasion that this happened. But uh, we used to have this game that we played. We called it car track. Okay? And what it was was this big carpet. Uh, you could call it a rug, maybe. And it had a map of different roads, and it was a town. And you could run your little matchbox cars, and they fit perfectly between the lanes. And you could play car track. And uh, I remember growing up, Melinda and I, played car track very well together. We had certain cars that we liked. I had a black Lamborghini. She did not pick the black Lamborghini because she knew I liked that. 
Okay. There was a pink Ferrari. I did not pick the pink Ferrari because Melinda liked the pink Ferrari. Okay. We had this mutual, I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. I like my cars, you like your cars. We had this whole town set up. Every car had its own personality. Every car had its own job. Every car went to a certain place for work. Every car went home to a certain home. We had it all assigned. We had an airport and everything. It was awesome. It was legit. All right. <clears throat> Hannah. <laughs> she does not play car track. Or did not. She probably knows how now. I probably teach her now. Okay. Back then, she did not know how to play car track. She did not understand that my black Ferrari had a house on First Street. Okay? She would want to just take the black Ferrari and just drive up. No, you can't do that. He doesn't go there. Okay? So we got very upset at Hannah when she would play. This is actually on video. We have video evidence that this happened. Um, we got very angry when Hannah wanted to play car track because she violated our system that we had set up. We were very easily provoked by Hannah because who was she to play our cars? Those are our cars. She has no business being involved in that. We were so easily provoked at the slightest injury to our perceived rights in the car track world. Teaching from this passage, however, um, the, Jesus is addressing a similar situation with the nation of Israel. They had this same mentality of, I have my rights, and you can't violate them, and as long as you do good to me, I'll do good to you, and we'll have this mutual exchange. But Jesus is giving a teaching that is completely contrary to that natural idea. The theme of the passage is this. By the experience of demonstrating love to those who return to us only insults and injury, we can understand in some small way the love of God and thereby be perfected. There are four points that I want us to look at from this passage. Number one, the natural rationale, the divine rebuke, the logical reasoning, and the final result. In verse 43 there we see the natural rationale, and that's what I want to deal with first. First I want to define a couple of terms. In verse 43, he talks about a neighbor and an enemy. A neighbor, in their understanding, would have been a friend. Any other person where two are concerned would have been the other. Thy fellow man, thy neighbor. According to the Jews, it would have been any other member of the Hebrew nation. That's very important. An enemy would be literally a hated or odious person. Uh, somebody is hostile. Uh, or opposing to one. In, another, in other passages, it's, it's used as someone that is opposing God in the mind, uh, and a man that is hostile, a certain enemy. So, specifically in this context, an enemy would have been anyone that is outside of national Israel. He's talking to the, Jew, the Jewish people here in this passage, and they would have clearly understood the enemy to be most uh, specifically the Romans, okay? But it would, have, it would have spread broadly to anyone who was not of the nation of Israel. And they had this natural, natural rationale in their mind that I was to do good to my brother in the flesh, the son of Abraham, and I was to treat them badly who were not. 
I'll get, we'll get into more detail, but Samaritans, Romans, any Gentile of any country outside of the nation of Israel. But there was a fallacy to that thinking. The fallacy is thinking so much of themselves that their own goodness would disdain those who were, in their minds, less good. Specifically, Jesus is presenting to the ethnic Jews a radical idea in their time. This idea was that they should not hate those that were not of Abraham, but rather they should love them. Racial discrimination was a big deal during this time. You can see it throughout the scriptures, throughout the New Testament. Um, Even Peter, he was the first pastor of the church of Jerusalem, even Peter was carried away with with dissembling. It means tension, he caused discord, he caused a problem at the church of Antioch because some of the Jews that came up from Jerusalem went and got there, went through the buffet line. They had a potluck dinner or whatever. They had their plates. They went to sit down where there's a, a couple Gentiles spread out throughout the tables. Okay? So they went and found a different table. They sat over here. All the Jews over here, all the Gentiles over there. We not, we're not eating with them. And even Peter, he comes out with his plate. He looks, oh, there's the Gentiles. I'm going to go sit with the Jews. All right? And Paul said that he, in Galatians, it says that he withstood him to the face and said, this is wrong, Peter. All, we are all in Christ. Okay? So even Peter was led away with their dissension. Barnabas was led away in this, in this same uh, instance. Uh, the Jews went around Samaria. Okay? You know from the, the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. The apostles went around Samaria. Jesus went right through Samaria. Okay? It, would have been, it would have cut hours off their trip, but instead they went around Samaria. This was, this was a big deal. If you weren't a Jew, you were dogs. So this is, this is hard for them to grasp. This is hard for them to accept. The natural reasoning, uh, because that the Jews were entrusted the or- oracles of God, they thought much of themselves. Romans 3.2, it does say that. Romans 3.2, it talks about what advantage does the Jew have over the Gentile. And Paul says actually much, because to them were given the oracles of God. Salvation. Uh, apart from the Jews, was very rare. Okay? Nebuchadnezzar, we believe, was saved. But by and large, those who found salvation came to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. Uh, Jesus said to the Samaritan woman in John 4.22, uh, when speaking to her about her religion, she tried to justify herself, saying, you know, we worship here on this mountain. We worship God just like you do. And Jesus said to her, you worship, you know not what. But we know what we worship, speaking of the Jews, for salvation is of the Jews. So there was some element of truth that led the Jews to act this way. They were given the oracles of God. They knew of whom they worshipped. But instead of being grateful for the grace of God that chose Abraham out of all the people of the world, (laughs) just like us, they let go of their brain. Oh, we are something. God was lucky to get us we're this great people. Look at us. We conquered. We crossed the Red Sea. We knocked down the walls of Jericho. We were given the oracles of God. We know what we worship. Y'all are dogs. I don't have anything to do with you. Instead of being grateful for the grace of God, they became proud in their national identity. 
That was the fallacy of their thinking. And then there was the failure of the Jews. The Pharisees, uh, these were men that were very gifted in the law. They would have known the scripture very well. And these, these Pharisees, they should have been a testimony to, testimony to the Romans, to the Samaritans, to the Gentiles everywhere of the great redemptive love of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But, rather, they preferred to condemn them all as their enemies. Their failure was to not recognize all people as being created in the image of God and a soul for whom Christ died. How often do we regard those that are without God in the world in the same way? How often do we get in our minds so lifted up with, we're Americans? Our country was founded on biblical principles. Yes, it was. Praise God. But it's not because we are so great. It's not because we are so smart. I wasn't there when the founders sat around in the Constitutional Convention and designed the greatest government that ever was gifted to man. Were you? They didn't think much of themselves. If you remember in the Constitutional Convention, there was nothing but hollering and fighting. I can't remember the name. There's a, there's a documentary about that. It's kind of a drama. But those guys were arguing and fighting. They couldn't get anything done. Until an old man, Ben Franklin, who's 80 years old, he stands up and says, Gentlemen, how often during the war did we fall on our knees before God and pray and he heard us? Don't you think it's time for us to do that now? They recognized that their success was not because of them. It was not because they had read all the great works, not because they were the children of the Enlightenment. No, it was because they had been obedient to God. They had trusted in God. I'm afraid we're, we're going to have to learn the hard way from those lessons. We're, we're not, uh, I'm not, many times, cognizant of the fact that all that we have in this country is attributed to God. And they had that same mindset. How many times do I th- see people as, as just other people that I run into day to day and not see them as a soul for whom Christ died? Many times I'm caught up in my own fallacy. I'm caught up in my own failure because of logical and my, re- my natural rationale. And then we see in this passage in verse number 44, 45, uh, Jesus Jesus gives a divine rebuke. Uh, First of all, uh, he says, love your enemies. Love in this passage means to exhibit or esteem goodwill toward another person. Another person who is odious to you or, specifically in this passage, someone who is the enemy of God. Perhaps, maybe for us, this could be somebody who is a member of the LGBTQ community or whatever they call it. It's not really a community. They're weird. He's got he's got tats through his he's got ear uh, nose rings through his nose. He's got a big old ring here. He's got tats all over his face. I'm not going to witness to him. He's God's done with him. He's made his choice. Really? 
How about the Muslim who's walking down the street and demands that his wife walks 10 yards behind him? Am I going to go talk to him about his need? As a national American, am I going to cast him out? He's an enemy. He's, he's probably going to put a backpack on next week and walk down the food line and blow it up. As so things come to my mind, is he not a soul for whom Christ died? How about the atheist who laughs at you and mocks your faith? You're going to love him? Jesus says, love your enemies. Those that are at enmity against God. He says in, in the second part there, he says, bless those that are cursing you. Uh, it's, blessing means to invoke blessings, obviously. Um, to wish them well. Okay, so uh, specifically, when they are threatening you, when they're cursing at you, wish them well. I'm sorry you feel that way, but I wish you well. In the midst of cursing, bless them. How hard this would have been for the Jews to hear when they would have thought of the Romans when they were taking over their country and cursing at them. To think of, of, of giving them blessing in return. The third thing he tells them uh, is to help those who hate. It says, do good to them that hate you. Uh, this, this means to do rightly by them to act toward them in a way that is excellent or commendable. Uh, treat those well who despise you, is what this means. In uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, it talks about if you suffer for well-doing, what thank have ye? But if you suffer for, e- for well-doing, um, then is your glor- Father in heaven glorified. So doing good to those who, who treat you badly. And then the, the fourth thing he tells them to do is to pray for those who use them spitefully and persecute them. To offer prayers to those who harass and mistreat them. In Rome it was, it was common for a Roman soldier to be traveling along a road with a heavy load or maybe a, a, a squadron of, of soldiers, maybe even whole, a, a whole um, legion of Roman soldiers, they'd be walking along the road and they'd come up on a, on a group of shepherds. And they would go over to the group of shepherds and say, hey, we need you to carry some of our packs. Come over here and carry, carry our packs for us. And Jesus said in another passage, if they ask you to go a mile with them, go with them too. That's what this passage is talking about. Those that, those that would interrupt your lifestyle, those that would take you away from your responsibilities of the sheep, who knows what's going to happen to them? But they can, because they were the, the ruling force at the time, they can come to you and take, take your labor and force you into servitude to them. Well, Jesus said, go with them two miles if they ask for one. I think of Paul. He's in house arrest in Rome. In Philippians chapter 4, the end of that passage... It says, greet them that are of Caesar's household. (laughs) Paul's in Rome. He is in jail for the name of Jesus Christ. And yet he's witnessing to all the Romans that come by him. Anybody that will hear, he's witnessing to them. So much so that there are saints 
Not in like Centurion's household, in Caesar's household. What? I think Paul was living this out. Pray for those that despitefully use you and persecute you. I want you to notice too, there's another thing in this passage. (laughs) The level of intensity with each command gets greater and greater and greater. Look there in verse 44. Love your enemies. That's a mental action only. I choose, this person that is against God, I choose to love them. This person that I consider my, my enemy, my rival, person that I do not like them, I do not get along with them, I choose to love them in the way that Christ would. It's only mental. Bless them that curse you. All right, so now I have to audibly, with my mouth, choose based on my attitude. I've changed my attitude. I will love them. Now I'm going to bless them while they're cussing at me, while they're cursing at me. I'm going to wish them well. <laughs> and then those that hate you, you're to do to them. So now I've got to, I've got to, I've got to help them. I've got, to, I've got to treat them well. I've got to give them respect. And then we have to pray for them. We've got to go before God and pray for them sincerely that they will be saved. Go before God and pray for them sincerely that they will see the love of God in us. It's hard to hate somebody that you bring before the throne of grace. And I'm not saying that there's a, there's a goofy song that's like, uh, I'm praying for you. I pray your brakes go da- out running down the hill and your flowers fall from the wind. Okay, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about sincerely out of a heart of love for their soul, praying for them. So there's the divine rebuke. Number three, there's a logical reasoning that Jesus gives for loving your enemies. We find this in verse number 46. I'm sorry, 45 through 47. For he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. The first thing, first reason we see he gives here is the reasons of nature. He gives the rain and he gives the sun. What do you not have without rain and sun? No trees. No drinking water. No life. Okay? You don't live. Plants don't live. Nothing lives. He sends it to the just and the unjust alike. He's giving space to the just and the unjust alike. He's extending mercy to the just the unjust alike. He's extending his love, specifically in this passage, to the just and the unjust alike. And then there's the reason of reward. In verse number 46, For if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? <laughs> Jesus, in his, in the, obviously he was God in human flesh, so he knew exactly what to say. Okay? But this, there's no argument. This is a, this is a rhetorical question. Right? There's no answer for it. Because the answer is obvious. Get in your mind again. You've got to get back in their, in their mindset and their understanding. 
The publicans. Who were the publicans? Anybody? Who were the publicans? Tax collectors, thieves, more specifically, traitors. They were Jews who had sold out to the Romans and agreed to collect their taxes and to spy on their, on their fellow Jews and to have more allegiance to Rome and cast, out, cast aside their allegiance to the nation of Israel. That thing that was so precious to them, their national identity. These people threw it all away. They were the scum of the earth. They were the Benedict Arnolds of the Jewish people. And Jesus says to them, if you love them that love you, the publicans do that. They go to each other's houses. They party with each other. They go to the Romans' houses. They party with the Romans because he's scratching their back. They're scratching his. You're no different than them if that's all you do. What reward have you? In the next chapter, he talks about if you give your alms before men, if you go in and blow with a trumpet so everyone sees you when you cast your great offering into the offering plate, what reward have you? They have their reward. Everyone else is seeing them. Throw it in. But if you go in when nobody else is looking and you cast your offering, you have reward in heaven. Check it out, chapter 6, verse 4. Same way here. If you do good to those that love you, there's no reward in heaven for that. Jesus says, when you get to heaven, Jesus isn't going to come pat you on the back and say, you did good, you did good to them that did you well. Doesn't make any sense. I had to burn them. I'd love to see their face. The publicans do that. There's no reason of reward there. Uh, in Matthew chapter 6, it talks about the reward that they have. It's, it's temporal. It's, it's going to pass away. One day, the, the publicans, they're going to die. And all of, all of the, the feasting and the fun that they, that they enjoyed, it's all going to pass away. One day these, these Jews, they're going to pass away and all the good times and the favors and the, and the greasing of the palms that they did for one another, it's all going to pass away. But those that chose to love their enemies, they're going to have a reward in heaven and that's eternal. So we see the logical reasoning that Jesus gives. It only makes sense. This is because this is God's will. And then we see number four, the final result of all this. The final result of loving our enemies is that we testify of Jesus Christ to the enemies and they see Christ's love in us. First Peter 2, I already referenced it uh, once before, but if you all would turn there. First Peter 2, verse 12. And I'm going to read that. I'd like you to follow along. Maybe mark this in your Bibles. 1 Peter 2, verse 12 says this, Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. It brings to mind the example of the Philippian jailer. Paul and Silas, they're preaching, and the, this woman comes to them, who is demon-possessed. 
and these these nobles or these city clerks or I don't remember how the Bible describes them, but they, they had some rank or position in the city. They had been making money off of this woman that was demon-possessed. Um, if you go down to the circus, you'll, you'll see like some freak show where you can go in and see the person with three arms or whatever. Okay, They were using her in that sort of way to make money. And she comes to Paul and Silas and Paul casts the demon out of her. So they can't make money off of her anymore. So they get all mad and they, they arrest Paul and Silas and they beat them. They throw them in jail overnight. And at night, they were singing. They were praising God in the cells. They were witnessing to those that were around them. And it said the prisoners heard it. Okay? Um, if you, got, you guys that were in my Sunday school class, they weren't singing like this. Right? They were singing out. Singing loud, praising God. <laughs> Philippian, the, there's an earthquake. All the doors fly open. The Philippian jailer, he comes running in. He's looking, all the doors are open. He's about to kill himself. And Paul, don't do yourself any harm. Stop. What does the Philippian jailer do? Hey, uh, okay, all right, well, let's, let's find everybody. Make sure everybody's here. Immediately, he falls at their feet and says, Sirs, what must I do to inherit eternal life? (laughs) Their good works, which he beheld, glorified God in the day of visitation. He knew they had the answer to eternal life. They knew, he knew they had the answer that he needed. How about Paul? (laughs) Stephen. He goes before the, the rulers, the Sanhedrin of the Jews, and uh, I think he's arrested for preaching. I, I can't remember. But he's arrested. He's brought in. And he gives them their national history. He takes them through it line by line. And this Jesus whom you crucified. All right, and they start gnashing on him with their teeth. And they take him out and stone him. And it says in the end of that chapter, and Saul was consenting to his death. Saul was there. He heard the whole thing. He held the garments for those, the cloaks. They took their coats off. And they started throwing stones. He held their coats. He heard it all. And it says in that passage that they were pricked in their conscience. They knew what Stephen was saying was true. Later on, on the road to Damascus, Paul gets letters to go and persecute the church that is in Antioch. I'm sorry, that is in Damascus. <laughs> he goes to, the, to persecute the saints that are at Damascus. And on the way, he sees a bright light. And he, and he talks to the Lord face to face. And what does Jesus say to him? Paul, Paul, why persecutest thou me? It's hard for you to kick against the bricks. What's he talking about? He's talking about Stephen. Stephen, the deacon, the faithful deacon that's, that stood up before the Sanhedrin and said, you've, you've crucified the Lamb of God. You crucified and slew him. Those were the pricks that Paul was kicking against. He knew it was the truth. He glorified God in the day of visitation. When we testify of him by loving our enemies, this is what can happen. What else is a result of this? Number two, under this, under the final result, we are made perfect in that we understand the redeeming love of God. 
If you would turn to First John chapter four. Verses 9 and 10. 1 John 4, 9 and 10. In this was manifest the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. God, we didn't love God. There is none righteous, no, not one. They have all turned aside. They have all gone out of the way. There is none good, not one. For all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Isaiah 64. We didn't love God. He didn't come and die for us because there was some kind of gift that He was going to get from us. He loved us. Because of that, we love Him. His love was unrequited. His love was not mutual. His love, He loved us when we did not love Him. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. I want to read that as well if you turn there. First, uh, Romans 5, verses 6 through 11. The Bible says, For when we were yet without strength, In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you get that? In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let's go back to our passage. Let's think about it. While we were enemies of God, while we were lost in our sins, what does the Bible say? Either you're a child of God or you're a child of the devil. While we were children of the devil, while we were lost in our sins, Christ died for us. While we were lost in our sins, God commended His love toward us. That's what he did. He loved his enemies. By showing the love of God unconditionally to the lost world, showing when we are not requited, blessing when curses are returned, doing good to those regarding us in contempt, and praying for those who use us badly, the perfecting work of God is done in our hearts. It is only when we experience this exchange of love for hatred that we understand the love of God in sending His only begotten Son. We can get a little glimpse of the perfection of God's great love for His creation and be made complete in Him.
In his life, Jesus Christ fulfilled perfectly all the aspects of love described in verse number 44. In his death, he demonstrated his love for his enemies, Romans 5 verse 10. In his words, he rendered blessing for cursing. They were railing on him at the cross, and he blessed them. 1 Peter 2, 22-23. In his actions, he redeemed the world. He did good to them that hated him. And in his agony, he prayed for the Romans who crucified him in Luke 23, verse 34. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Given the magnitude of God's love for us, the way that he commended his love toward us while we were his enemies, can't we do in our small way the same? Church, we need to endure a little ridicule that he could be seen in us and that we might be perfected in his love. Let's pray. Dear God, I pray.